Hey, please open to Proverbs chapter 4, looking at verses 14 and 15. And then after that, we're going to read Psalm 1, the whole psalm. But we'll start in Proverbs chapter 4, 14 and 15, and then Psalm 1. If you are able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Proverbs teaches us, do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. And then Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Pray with me, please. Thank you, Father, for your word. And as we now come to this portion of our worship service, I pray you'd remove every distraction from this place, whether it's in our minds and our hearts, the concerns of the day or the week. Father, we cast those things upon you, and we pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds so we might listen, receive, and understand thy word. Bless this time, we pray. If there is one here who doesn't know Jesus, may they hear the gospel today. And would you draw that one savingly to yourself? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So my voice really didn't drop an octave. I'm battling this cold. Thank you for your patience with me this morning. That probably sound a little bit different. But let's now look at the Word of God. About four weeks ago, if you'll recall, we were studying Proverbs chapter 1, the last portion of that chapter. And if you'll think back with me, what Solomon talked about in the latter portion of Proverbs chapter 1 were two paths, the path of wisdom and the path of folly. And in fact, Solomon would personify wisdom and folly and say that these two things are calling out. They're calling out to the young and the, to, to the naive, to the unlearned, and they're saying, hey, come, come, come walk on my path, come and join me on my path. In fact, from Proverbs chapter 1, folly says to the naive, she says, come, come with us. We're going to give you a different community. We're going to lure and entice you, and we're going to promise you that you're going to make a quick profit. We're going to promise you all sorts of things, which we know ended up being lies. But we saw, according to Proverbs 1, that in the end, It's just a trap. It's a trap that leads 
to destruction when folly calls. But we also learned that wisdom would call. Proverbs 1 says that wisdom called aloud in the street. And that the way of wisdom was the way of God's Spirit. It was the way of security. And we learned even from the New Testament that the voice of wisdom was actually the voice of Jesus Christ, who is wisdom incarnate. Well, today, what we're going to see is that the wisdom literature that's found in Proverbs chapter 1, it actually works hand in hand with the Hebrew poetry that is found in Psalm 1. Today, this first psalm shows us again two paths that man can take. But instead of using the language of Proverbs, which was again the path of wisdom and the path of folly, Psalm 1 uses two men. Psalm 1 talks about the blessed man and the wicked man. Psalm 1 shows us the contrast between these two men. In fact, this whole psalm could parallel Proverbs chapter 1. And you see the vivid contrast in Proverbs 1 of the two ways, but in Psalm 1 of the two men. In fact, look at the text if you have Psalm 1 still open. I want you to look at the first word of the psalm and the last word of the psalm. Because looking at the first word and the last word, you see the contrast of, you could say, the two paths, or in this case, the two men. The first word is blessed, and the last word is perish. And notice with me, there's only two men. There's only two ways. There's the blessed man and the wicked man. There's the blessed way and the wicked way. There is wisdom and folly. So this text is not hard to outline. It's got two main points from Psalm 1. It's the point first of the blessed man. And then secondly, the point of the wicked man. But look with me, if you will, back at Psalm 1, verse 1, as we describe what the Bible calls the blessed man. Psalm 1 says this, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. As we can see, the psalmist starts out des describing this first man, what he calls the blessed man. And by blessed, it has the idea of happy, but it's more than that. The blessed man is actually the person who is the object of God's favor. And in these first three verses, the psalmist describes the blessed man in four ways. Let's walk through these four ways, the description of the blessed man. First of all, the blessed man is described by what he avoids. Look at verse 1. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. Tell you a story. It's Brock and I and Jack starting this year. We, um, we have a boys weekend that we do every single year. We go to Knoxville every single April because it's orange and white game at Tennessee. We haven't missed it in seven years. It's a great time. Uh, Jack joined us this year for the first time. But it was about five years ago, Brock and I were there, and uh, the game's on a Saturday. So we got there a day early, so it was Friday night, and we were walking through the campus, University of Tennessee, and we, we really didn't know what was going on on the campus. We were just walking through the campus, hanging out, and we heard this noise, and it seemed like it was coming from the baseball field. So we walked towards the baseball field, and when we got to the baseball field, we saw there's an SEC game going on. The University of Tennessee is playing baseball. So we stopped walking and we stood. We stood right by the fence and we tried to look over the fence to see the players playing and doing this and that. And we saw that it was the you know, top of the seventh inning. It was kind of late in the game. But we were trying to stand and watch what was going on in the game. Well, as we were standing there, someone at the ticket booth saw what we were doing and they said, Hey, come on in the game. Come on and sit down. They said, We stopped charging. At the end of the fifth inning. So, so come on in, and you, and you can enjoy the rest of the game. So what did we do? Of course, we went on in, didn't we? And we sat down, and we watched the rest of that game. We fully committed ourselves by sitting down to watch the rest of that game. So I tell you that story so you can see a progression. We were first walking towards the game, heard it. And once we heard it, we stood and watched the game, but then we realized we could go in and sit down. So we did. We went right through that gate and we sat down and committed ourselves to the rest of that game. And I tell you that story because there were degrees of commitment in the way we were acting. We were first walking, then we were standing, and then finally we were sitting. And in each step, we gained more commitment to watching that game. Now, this text today talks about those three things, walking, standing, and sitting, and it has nothing to do with a baseball game. This text is talking about walking and standing and sitting as levels of commitment toward hanging with the wrong people, the wrong crowd. What this text says, the counsel of the wicked, sinners, and scoffers. And what this says to us is that the blessed man, one of the things that he does is he avoids committing on any level to hanging with the wrong crowd, to, to putting himself under the counsel of scoffers, of the wicked men. And you see this progression. You see him walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing or, or sitting in the seat of scoffers. One commentator said it this way. He said to walk in the counsel of the wicked is to accept the world's advice. To stand in the way of sinners is to become part of the world's ways. And to sit is to fully commit. Is to fully commit to adopting the world's ways. And what the psalmist is saying is that the blessed man is wise enough to know to avoid these paths altogether. 
that he shouldn't walk. He definitely shouldn't stop and stand. And there's no way he should ever sit in the seat of mockers. Why? Mockers in the book of Proverbs is the person that takes something which is good and holy and he makes it the object of ridicule, which is exactly what our world does today. Think about how many ways our world today takes that which God says is good and right and flips it on its head and ridicules what God is doing. Look at this right here. There's water being delivered to me. <laughs> Sorry, there's no small <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Blair. But do you see that picture of slowing down, of committing, from walking to standing, from standing to sitting? And this is not going to a baseball game. This is sitting in the seat of mockers, accepting the world's counsel. The blessed man, the Bible says, he avoids it. He avoids it at all costs. The text from Proverbs, Katie's going to put back on the screen for us. Because right here is where Proverbs speaks into our lives about what to avoid. For those who are young, the teenagers, the children here today, look at this text right here. Proverbs is very clear about avoiding the counsel of the wicked. It says, do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of evil. And four times it says, avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Parents, have you ever felt like you had to repeat yourself over and over and over to your children? The book of Proverbs actually picks that up. And it says basically the same thing four times. Whatever you got to do, you got to do. Avoid the path of the wicked altogether. Do not set your foot on it. That means before you get on the path, decide you're, you're not going to go there. Make the decision before it happens. Turn away from it if you encounter it. And just keep on going. Pass on. Why? Because the blessed man is known for what he avoids. But secondly today, verse 2 teaches us that the blessed man is described by what he loves. Look at verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. What is your chief delight? The thing that you cherish. The counsel that you cherish. For the blessed man, the Bible says it's the word of God. It's the law of God. This blessed man he delights so much in God's law. In fact, he wants to keep it in his heart and in his mind all the time. It says, day and night, he's thinking about the Word of God. A few weeks ago, as men, we went on the men's retreat up uh, near Asheville to Black Mountain. And I challenged the men on the way there, read Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. It takes a while to go through that one. But Psalm 119, verse 16 says this, I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. 
You remember last, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, we talked about not forgetting, right? Getting out that post-it note or writing it on the tablet of your heart, not forgetting the Word of God. The blessed man delights so much in God's Word that in his heart, in his mind, he says, I'm, on a, I'm, on a, I'm not going to forget it. I'm going to do whatever i got to do to hide God's Word in my heart because this is the counsel that I need. And see, this counsel, the counsel of the Word, it stands in opposition to what? Verse 1, the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of scoffers. See, that's available to you. There's worldly counsel that's available to you. But the blessed man knows that he doesn't need that. He needs the law of God written on the tablet of his heart. He delights in it and says, I will not forget it. The Word of God is His teacher. And we know that the Bible teaches us what we are to believe concerning God, what duty God requires of man. And the blessed man knows that God has taught him who he is, that he is good, he's sovereign, he's the creator, he made all things. He even made man in his image. But the blessed man understands God's Word so much to recognize his own sinfulness. He knows that God's word says about him that he's separated from God because of his sin, that he's in need of a Savior, and that the only way he can be forgiven is through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for his sins, and that he can come to know Jesus by grace through faith in him, humbling himself before God, repenting of his sin, knowing Jesus Christ as his Savior, his Lord, his God. Knowing that he can walk in this life, in the Word of God, because it's not a law that shackles him, it's a law that frees him from the effects of sin. That God's law does not shackle him to misery, but it gives him the opportunity to have the full blessing of God in this life. Yes, the blessed man is described by what he loves. But thirdly, Verse 3 teaches us that the blessed man is described by a great illustration. Look at verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That great tree. The blessed man is like a tree, the Bible says, that's planted by the streams of water. The picture that is behind this tree is a tree that is vital. A tree that is deep-rooted. A tree that is nourished and strong and fruitful, productive. And just like that tree is constantly nourished, by that stream of water that is flowing next to it. The Bible says that the blessed man is the man who is constantly nourished by the Word of God, that he will grow in his life to be vital and deep-rooted in the things of God. He will be spiritually nourished because he is meditating on God's law day and night. He will be fruitful for the Lord. And that's the man that makes Scripture his delight. And you see, finally, the result of that at the end of verse 3. 
It says, in all that he does, he prospers. We see then that this blessed man, he is the godly man, the one who has learned from God through God's word, running after God all the time. But in verse 4 of this text, there's a transition. You see it very clearly in the text. There's a transition that moves from the blessed man to our second point today, the wicked man. Look with me at verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. You see, the psalmist now moves from three verses that describe the blessed man to now three verses that describe the wicked man. For the blessed man, he ended with an illustration, the illustration of a tree. For the wicked man, he starts with the illustration, and it's an illustration of chaff. Look at it. Therefore, the wicked will not stand, or excuse me, verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like what? Chaff that the wind drives away. What is that illustration of chaff? The picture, the illustration behind this is that of corn, and it's that of the threshing floor of corn. You see, scattering of chaff is a common figure in the Old Testament, and it takes us right back to where the corn was tossed up into the air, and that the fragments of that corn, the the husks of the corn, the straw of the corn, are blown away by the wind. Have you shut corn before? That which is wrapped around the corn. You don't need that, do you? You tear that off, you rip that off, you throw that away. Why? It's like chaff. What you've ripped away from the corn, isn't that the best definition of that which is weightless and rootless? Useless to you? The Bible says that is the wicked man. He's like the chaff that's blown away in the wind. Now compare that to what we just heard. The blessed man is this strong, vital, nourished tree that is well-rooted and grounded because his life is being filled with the things of God. He sees who he is before God. He's humble before God. He knows God. But the wicked man, in his heart, he's completely denied God. He's living in arrogance towards God. He thinks he's something, but the Bible says he is like that chaff, those husks of corn that's torn from the corn, and it's thrown into the air. It's blown away. He's weightless. He's rootless. He doesn't have a use. Secondly, he describes the wicked man by his judgment. Look at verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor, the sinner, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. When the psalmist says he will not stand in the judgment, what that means is he will fall under the condemnation of God. 
that he will not have life. He will not be able to stand when God's judgment comes. That the wicked cannot be associated with the godly when it comes time for judgment. Beloved, right now, in this world, there are people who know God. There are people who don't know God. And we live together side by side, doing the same things day in and day out. But the Bible says there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus is going to come back. And when he does, the Bible says there's going to be a separation there's going to be a separation of what the Bible calls the wheat and the tear between the sheep and the goat because King Jesus is going to be the judge of all the earth. And on that day, the Bible says that the wicked will not be able to stand because they have their sin on their own lives. And the Bible says they will fall under the judgment of Christ and they will spend an eternity in a place called hell. Because you see in verse 6, it describes their final judgment, their final destiny. It says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will what? Perish. They will perish. You see, one day when Jesus comes back, the book of John says, that we will all be resurrected. There will be a general resurrection. And that some people, when they're raised, they're going to be raised to life, and others are going to be raised to eternal condemnation. And the Lord Jesus decides who that is. He's the king, and he's also the judge. And he sits on the throne. And as we close here today, there's some important things we need to take away from this psalm. The first thing is, and we said this a month ago, and let me be very clear about this because I think the Bible is very clear about this. There's no third way. There's no third way. Proverbs again taught us a month ago, there's the way of folly and the way of wisdom. The Psalm, Psalm 1 reiterates there's only two ways. There's the way of the foolish man or the wicked man. There's the way of the blessed man. There's no third way. You see, this world is going to teach you that there's no such thing as truth, that what I said is just ri ridiculous, that you need to do whatever works for you, just go ahead and do it. Some bad theology is going to tell you that it doesn't matter what way you choose about God, it's going to all lead to the same God. None of that is in the Bible. The Bible says there are two Ways. This is a choice between trusting God and rejecting God. This is a choice between coming to Jesus and rejecting Jesus. And the blessed man knows that he needs to repent of his sin because he's read the word and he's not going to walk near the counsel of the ungodly. He's going to obey God. He's going to love and delight in God's word. He's going to be like that strong tree that grows and prospers by the water. But the wicked man hates God. He runs towards sin. His life is not useful. And one day he will be judged. And as the last word of this text says, he will perish. Again, I want you to recall the first and last words of this psalm. Blessed and perish. My question for you is which way are you going? Because it's one of those two ways. Now here's the good news. Beloved, the Bible says that every single one of us started out being on the path 
of folly. It says that every single one of us started out being that wicked man, including me. But that God is so full of grace and mercy that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross for our sins and to call us out of this state of folly, to call us out of this state of wickedness, that we might see our sin for what it is. It's against a holy God. And that we might repent of our sin and turn, get off that wicked, foolish path. And we might embrace Jesus Christ. Today, maybe you walked in here and you find yourself to be on the path of folly. Maybe you find yourself rejecting God and being like that wicked man. Jesus says to you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This text says you're going to perish if you're a wicked man. I want to ask you a question. Go through your mind right now. Think about a New Testament verse that has the word perish in it. What is it? It's John 3.16, I'd guess. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, what? Shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you find yourself on that perishing side, Jesus says you can come to him. You can have eternal life in him today. If that's you today, come to Christ. Pray and receive Jesus as your Savior, that you cannot be on this wicked path, but you can be that blessed man who's going to be strong, who's going to have eternity with God one day. And for Christians here today, this, this text teaches us, I think it challenges us to see the importance of Scripture, doesn't it? The Scripture is not simply to be something that we read or just do, but something that we delight in, something that we love, something that we should treasure, that we can grow strong like that tree by the stream of water. We know that whatever we do with God is going to last forever. Pray with me, please.